Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Well, bad news, folks. But I didn't really plan a Halloween special this year. Yeah, go ahead and throw those tomatoes, but just know I heckin' love tomato juice. So the joke's on you. Welcome back to Unexplained Encounters. I'm your host, Darkness Prevails and you can follow me on Twitter at Dark Prevails, where I remind you of the disturbing fate that Gadget ended up with in the new Rescue Rangers movie. Today I've got some Halloween horror stories, plus an assortment of other allegedly true and terrifying stories, ranging from one of the most unsettling black-eyed kid encounters I've ever read to a terrifying creature that made a hollowed-out tree its home. Enjoy, and remember to send me your scary stories at darkstories.org so I can narrate them on the show. And check out EerieCast.com to enjoy more of my other scary podcasts. And hey, my birthday's on the 23rd. Any other spooky month birthdays out there? Now, let's begin. My Friend's Alleged Black-Eyed Kid Encounter From C. Philly 100 My good friend, who asked to remain anonymous, had this terrifying experience. This one has even been verified by both the Denver Police Department, as well as several, eight to be exact, other neighbors. This will be from my friend's perspective. I was house-sitting for my mom in South Denver. The sun had just gone down, and I was settling into her well-worn reading chair with a hot cup of tea. That's when I saw someone approaching the house through the blinds in the window. Right away, I noticed two smaller people walking up the sidewalk, both wearing baggy black hoodies and loose-fitting jeans. I was immediately on high alert as I was house-sitting and it was after dark. I stood up and walked out of sight of the window so the people, whom I assumed were door-to-door -door salespeople, would not see me. Sure enough, here comes that dreaded knock-knock-knock that every antisocial person just loves to hear heavy sarcasm intended. I stood there, unmoving, loathing the idea of having to go answer the door for these little vagrants. Not to mention there are some criminally-minded people that are just up to no good in the city these days. But sure as sin, here it comes again, another knock, knock, knock. Not wanting to be totally rude, and as my dog was now whining at the door, I went to peer out through the slates, there stood these two young adults, maybe in their early teens, hands at their sides, and both looking down at the ground. I cautiously unlocked the door, leaving the screen door locked with the storm window on the screen propped open for airflow. Can I help you? I asked. We need to use your cell phone. The one on the left said. This one was slightly taller and appeared to be Caucasian. Don't you have your own cell phone? I retorted. We lost our cell phone. We need to use your cell phone. The smaller one said. Why? I replied. Because our mom is sick and she told us to call her. 
What? Where do you live? Where is your mom? Why aren't you with her? I demanded to know. We got lost on our way to the store. The taller one stated, rather matter-of-factly. I'm sorry, I said. My phone's dead. I'm just house-sitting. Try the 7-Eleven down the road. I started to close the door when the taller one raised his head, pressing his hand against the screen door, and looking up to meet his gaze, I saw something I truly wish I'd never seen. His eyes. His eyes were pure black. No pupils, no iris, just black. What? What are you? I stammered, shakily. We already told you. They responded in unison. We need to call our mom. She, she is, is very sick. sick. We, we need, need you to open the door. We need to use your cell phone. Open the door. That last part sounded more like a command, and despite my better judgment, I felt my hand moving to unlock the screen door. My dog suddenly yelped, snapping me out of my trance. At this point, the second child looked up and I could see that their eyes were jet black as well. I'm sorry, I said. You're going to have to go now. We can't leave now, they said. You've already seen us. Our mom is on her way. I thought you said your mom was sick, I retorted. She is sick. She needs to come and see you. Almost as if on cue, a tall, dark figure seemed to materialize out of the shadows on the street. Both of these children turned around to welcome this newcomer, who was slowly approaching the porch. This might sound crazy, but if you've ever seen the movie Mama with Jessica Chastain, she, or rather it, looked a lot like that. I was freaking soiling myself at that point. My dog was going nuts. I... Are you these kids' mom? I managed to whimper. The figure just stood there, regarding the children, and then slowly, almost painfully, she, or it, or whatever, raised its head to look me dead in my soul. The porch light began to flicker. I slammed the door shut and ran back into my old childhood bedroom to grab my shotgun. I racked a shell into the chamber and ran down to the basement with my dog. I could hear something moving around outside, and my dog started growling. Shh, I whispered, although I had the distinct feeling that these beings knew exactly where I was. I was crouching next to the dryer, which had a hose going outside, and I swear I began smelling noxious fumes seeping out from the cracks in the machine. I saw this bluish light shining through the basement window. I reached around the corner, squeezing off around. My ears rang then, but I hoped that one of the neighbors would hear the gunshot and call the police. Turns out the one or two who did just thought it was a firework, but I didn't know that at the time. Soon I heard a helicopter flying overhead, and I thought it must have been the police. It wasn't. I ran upstairs with my dog. The two of us ran out the back door, unlocking the gate and running as fast as we could to my neighbor's back door. I pounded and pounded, but nobody came. At this point, my dog was looking around anxiously, and I was seeing things moving around in the dark in between the houses, 
We ran to the next house over and started knocking frantically. My neighbor came to the door and seeing my panicked state, told his wife to go lock the front door, then came out to meet me. I filled him in on the situation and asked to use his cell phone. I wasn't lying to those kids, my phone really had been dead. He rang the police and they arrived about five minutes later. I told them what had happened and they went to investigate inside my mom's house. They came back a short while later, informing us that no one was inside. They gave me a rather harsh warning for having discharged my firearm and left us to fend for ourselves. I thanked my neighbor and went back inside with my dog. I turned off all the lights. I knew those kids were still around. I could feel them. I nearly jumped out of my skin when I heard a tap, tap, tap coming from the side window. I freaked out. I knew the police would be of no further assistance, and now I could hear someone whistling outside, similar to how a person might try to imitate a bird call. The front porch light was still on, and I could see a shadow being cast from someone standing in between the light and the front door from down the hallway. Now I was convinced they had me flanked. I was terrified. I grabbed my dog by his harness, and we went to cower in the closet with the shotgun. I was finally starting to nod off around five in the morning when bright blue and red lights engulfed the house and I could hear someone pounding on the front door. Denver police, open up. I warily peeked my head around the corner. I could just make out the distinct silhouette of a police officer standing in the doorway. I went to open the door. It was the same officer from earlier. I'm really sorry, he said. I spoke with my captain and I have to give you a citation for unlawful discharge. It's not a ticket, you just need to speak with a detective to verify your story. He gave me the paperwork, but before he left, I asked if he might accompany me around the grounds. He obliged and we made our way around the property, including the garage and basement. Feeling somewhat satisfied, I bid him adieu, and finally I fell asleep as the sun was just barely rising. Later that day, I went back to the first neighbor's house, whom I had approached the night before. They were extremely apologetic for not having heard me the night before, and upon reviewing their ring doorbell footage, they noticed something strange. They showed me how, when I'd come around to their house the night before, there was something in the background. When they zoomed in, they could see a long, slender figure crouching in the shadows. It was dark, but you could clearly see someone crawling, like a person pretending to be an animal might do, eyes faintly reflecting in the weak electric light. I gave my neighbor the officer's card, asking her to forward the footage to the police department. She readily agreed, and when I went to meet with the detective the following day, he validated the footage, claiming that it must have been some drug-addled junkie, someone who had cased my mom's house and realized she was out of town. The DA declined to press charges, and I was in the clear. That is to say, legally anyway. I could not sleep for a night afterwards. I wish I could say that's the end of it. A couple of nights later, the children returned, though this time I refused to answer the door. What's super creepy is that the second time around, I once more ran back to my bedroom to grab my gun, but when I looked out the back window... I could see something crawling up along the roof of the garage.
A few days later, two youths were shot and killed trying to break into a house in North Glen, a suburb just outside of Denver. But I have a gut feeling that those creatures are still at large. I warned my mom upon her return and left my gun with her, but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't itching to get out of there. I returned to Loveland, where I live, but that's still only an hour outside of Denver, and every night when the sun goes down, I get that same freaky feeling that something is out there, something just outside the deceptive feeling of false protection offered by these thin stucco walls. Halloween Story from Master P. This happened last year on Halloween. I was 18 at the time, and my best friend Andrew was 17. At the time, we both thought we were too old for trick-or-treating, and we thought handing out candy was lame. I then came up with an idea. There was this old abandoned house close to mine. I wanted to go look around inside the house, as I thought it would be fun and creepy, especially because it was Halloween. However, Andrew didn't think it was a good idea. But being an idiot, I told him to stop being a baby. He gave in. We then waited until it was trick-or-treating time before heading to the house. We carried flashlights with us so we could see better. Eventually, we made it to the old place, and I smiled, looking up at it. Of course, since it was abandoned, it was a huge mess. A few of the windows even had boards over them. Andrew mentioned that we should just go home, because he didn't want to spend the night in jail if we got caught. I told him to stop being a wuss. Then, without another word, I headed up to the front door. I reached for the doorknob, half expecting the door to be locked, because that's what most people did. But the door actually opened. Andrew and I looked at each other. I was worried. After pressuring him, Andrew told me that we couldn't back down now so he walked into the house. I followed behind him. We were standing in the front hall, and I noticed the house had two floors. We turned on our flashlights. They were very bright, so their light covered most of the area. Andrew said he was going to look upstairs. He told me to stay downstairs, and without another word, he headed up there. I sighed deeply before heading off. Then I walked into one of the empty rooms. All the furniture inside was gone. There wasn't anything in there, and for some reason I was hoping to see something creepy, or at least a bug or a bat. Suddenly, I thought I'd heard a loud noise behind me. I turned around, aiming my flashlight at where the noise had come from, but whatever had made the noise by then was gone. I exited the room and walked into the hallway, wondering what that might have been. I started mumbling about how stupid this idea was, regretting it, deciding it was time to go and find Andrew so we could leave. I then noticed the room in front of me. It was probably the kitchen, I thought. I decided to go check it out, my curiosity getting the better of me. I headed off, poking my head into the room, moving my flashlight around. I didn't see anything but normal kitchen stuff. I walked inside, wondering if there was anything else in here, not just dust and cobwebs. Just then, I stepped on something that almost caused my foot to shoot out from under me. I moved back, pointing my flashlight down, and noticed a big kitchen knife. I bent down to pick it up, 
but then realized I probably shouldn't do that. So I didn't touch it. I began to wonder why the knife was just sitting there. But I didn't question it further. I headed out of the room and back to the hallway. I was about to go explore more rooms when I heard a loud scream and realized it was Andrew. I ran upstairs, hearing Andrew yelling at something, sounding absolutely terrified. When I got to where the screaming came from, it was a dark, empty bedroom. I used my flashlight and soon found Andrew. He was sitting in the back corner of this room, but I soon noticed someone else was in the room with us. For some reason, the other person didn't notice me, and I saw Andrew holding his flashlight like a teddy bear. I cleared my throat, and the person turned around. They were taller than both me and Andrew. I couldn't tell if they were male or female, because they had some kind of creepy Halloween mask on, but they weren't holding a weapon. Hey, leave him alone! I shouted at the person. This was probably a bad idea. The person laughed, and I felt anger bubbling up inside of me. I knew that what I was about to do may have been an even worse idea but it was the only thing I could think of. I threw my flashlight as hard as I could at this person. It hit them in the face, making them shout in pain, giving Andrew enough time to get away from the guy. We ran downstairs, and I could hear them yelling at us. We didn't look back as we ran out of the house and down the street before stopping. We stopped on the sidewalk. I bent over, breathing heavily, and I groaned under my breath. Andrew pulled out his cell phone, saying he was going to call the police about what happened. A few minutes later, I saw Andrew looking annoyed. He told me the police thought it was a joke, because it was Halloween after all. I was annoyed too then. We both knew it wasn't a trick, but I decided to check up on it. We headed back to my house where I grabbed a laptop. A few minutes later, I couldn't find anything about the house. I sighed before shutting the laptop and groaning again. After that, we both looked at each other. I realized the person must have been using the house. It was empty after all, and no one else was living in it. And if the person was a thief or killer, they could have been using the house as a hideout. After that, Andrew and I decided we were not going to go do anything crazy for Halloween again. We were just going to help my parents hand out candy. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer, Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play, with my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today.
on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Devil in a Ghost Town, Ward, Colorado. From C. Philly 100. With Halloween right around the corner, I thought I'd share this story. This happened in the town of Ward, Colorado, back in 2012 or so. Ward is an old silver mining town named after Calvin Ward, who prospected a claim there back in 1860. Ward has an especially eerie past, with such sordid tales of mine owners having all their workers killed in the middle of the night just so they wouldn't have to pay them. Much later, many Vietnam War vets and Hells Angels bikers settled in Ward as there is no local law enforcement, and thus its hardscrabble reputation only grew from there. There's an old hotel in town that has since been converted into apartments, and at that point in time, some of our friends were having a Halloween party up there. Most people had their faces painted and the costumes included very original pirates and mountain men portrayals. Upon speaking with some of the occupants, they had quite a few creepy stories about the place being haunted. Some of these stories included all the doors upstairs slamming shut, locking the people inside, as well as the sound of footsteps when no one was home. Things were heating up as the night progressed. Many folks were imbibing on various magical potions and elixirs. Some of our buddies were wrestling and others were playing Jack Jumped Over the Candlestick, which is exactly what it sounds like, with the candle being raised a little higher every round. Well, I was driving, so my group left to head back out to Jamestown, but my good friend Matt's, from my Gold Hill Chupacabra story, decided to stay and get into the spirit of the evening. This is where things get interesting, so I'll shift over to his perspective for the rest of the story. Once you guys left, they told me to go into the main chamber, which features a great stone fireplace. A fire was going, and I noticed there was someone sitting in the shadows. I sat down, and we started to chat. This person began telling me that they were the Angel of Light, that they had created the world. My head was spinning at this point, but I was really taken by his narrative as the examples and manner in which he spoke were very compelling. So here I thought I was having a divine encounter. Just then a small orb of light passed by this person's face, illuminating an extremely sinister and horribly disfigured face. I recoiled in fear and he started cackling as I stumbled back into the living room. I turned around to see everyone staring at me from across the room. No one spoke, and I muttered some excuse to leave. I have to go uh, water my dog. I rushed out into the night, and to my horror, I saw what looked to be an angel with its wings chopped off, leaving two bloody stumps on its back. It was urinating in an empty champagne bottle. I ran down to my car and was knocked to the ground by a massive gust of wind. I looked up to see what looked like something flying overhead, but I couldn't quite make out any details in the dark. 
I drove all the way back to Morning Sun and locked the door, deathly afraid that someone or something might follow me home. I don't know what they've got going on over there in Ward, but I know I won't be going back there for Halloween anytime soon. The House From Mr. Mr. 1100 Growing up, I've had a few experiences, such as seeing UFOs, ghosts, and things I cannot explain. I grew up at my father's house in Maryland. There have been a lot of happenings there. Almost everyone has had an experience of some kind. One such experience I had was when my little sister fell down the stairs, going to the basement. She fell about two-thirds of the way down, then suddenly stopped mid-air and was lowered to the ground unharmed. Scared, but okay. This was witnessed by my stepmother. On another occasion, my stepmother was going to the kitchen one night when she saw a little boy standing in the living room. He wore a pair of coveralls and a striped shirt. He had blonde hair and looked to be about six or seven years old. It was the same age as my younger brother, and that's who she thought it was at first. She thought that he was out of bed for some reason, but when she made her second look, he was gone. My older sister has claimed to see three different ghosts in that house, one being that little boy, another being an old man, and the other being something she could not identify. My two younger sisters have claimed to see shadows moving around the house too. As for my experiences, on days that I was home alone, I would often hear footsteps from the main floor. My room was in the basement. Sometimes I'd even hear voices. One night I got up to get something to drink in the kitchen. Right above the sink is a window that I would often look out of when I was in the kitchen. This time, however, I saw at the border of our yard, standing in the fog, was what looked to be an army of shadow people. They were staring at our house. They did not come onto the property, though. I felt that so long as I stayed inside, I would be fine. Not that I was planning on going out anyway. Another incident I had happened one night. I was sound asleep in bed, and I felt a tugging on my covers. I looked up, thinking it was one of my family members. But to my shock, I saw this figure. It was all black. The best way I could describe it was the Grim Reaper. It looked similar to that. In my fear, I pulled my covers over my head. Soon, I felt a tapping on my leg. I kicked at it, trying to get it to go away. Eventually, I looked back out. I saw the figure suddenly shrink down to the size of a cat, and it bolted out of my room. It hit my laundry hamper on the way out, throwing it across the room. After some time, I got up and followed it out. All I found was my father sitting in the other room using the computer. I asked him if he saw or heard anything weird, but he hadn't. He did tell me that I looked as pale as a sheet. Now, this next part requires a little background. This is where things get really interesting. Every year, we would go camping in Pennsylvania. We'd always go to the same campground. During the hikes we often took, we would visit this old graveyard. 
One year, my little sister had an experience where a little girl told her to run to her mother. My sister did just that, and as soon as she did, a huge tree fell just where she'd been standing. When she looked back, the little girl was gone. The following year, my sister decided to take a piece of stone from an old wall in that graveyard. She brought it home with her. At first, nothing weird happened, but soon the house began to feel dark and depressing. Around spring the following year, we noticed that our cats began acting funny. They were jumpy, not at all interested in coming out of their hiding spots. Normally, they're very social. One day we noticed that one of the cats altogether disappeared. We thought it had gotten outside. After about a month, I found the cat under the stairs to the basement. It was dead. Now, this was a young and very healthy cat beforehand. My father believes a very venomous spider might have gotten it, but I was not convinced. Because the look on the cat was of absolute fear, and the feelings of darkness being overwhelming at the house, I believed the cause to be something else. Now, at that time, I practiced what could be called Wicca. Not the spell casting, though, I wasn't really into that part. Using the books and knowledge I accumulated, I began to think that it was a dark spirit or a demon that was trying to get stronger. I later found out about the stone my younger sister brought home. I started to talk to my older sister. She also had knowledge of ghosts and demons, something we both had an interest in. She and I both agreed that whatever was happening there started with that stone. After some research, my sister and I decided that we needed to do something. She began to notice that her cat was getting worse. We then tried something that we thought would help, something from one of my books. It was a spell of sorts to trap energy. I'm not going to go into it because like I said, it's not something I like doing. The very next morning, we took everything involved in the spell and the stone and put it in a box, burying it in the yard. Except for the cat, of course. At the time, I didn't know if it worked, but my sister believed that it had. She was always more sensitive to that kind of stuff. After a few days, things began to feel normal again. Just remember that sometimes things should be left where they are. Can Ghosts Kill? From Life is Too Scary Warnings This story is about a baby's death and a possible haunting. When I was 17 years old, my sister had her first baby and moved into a house at the end of my mom and dad's house. This was their first grandbaby. She was also the first great-grandchild as well on both sides of the family. Everyone was extremely excited for her birth. My aunt had brought this knitted sweater from an old lady from her church. It was a pastel yellow. She said the old lady had cancer and requested that she give the sweater to her newborn niece and have her wear it and to take some pictures of her so she could see her wearing the sweater. That's the only thing and last thing she wanted in life, to see a newborn baby in her knitted sweater. Well, my sister forgot about that sweater. It ended up just hanging in her closet for months. She told me that one day her baby was giggling in the room, laughing and carrying on, and when she went into the room to check on the baby, she found her daughter lying propped up on a pillow. 
Now, her daughter at the time was three months old, barely able to hold a bottle up on her own. She said this happened around the same time every day too, between 1am and 2.30am. The scary part was she never put any pillows or blankets in the crib. So she asked her husband if he had propped up their daughter on a pillow. He answered no. She was creeped out at this point. No one else was in the house, nor did anyone live with her other than her husband. My sister would send her daughter to daycare while she and her husband worked, Monday through Friday. Weekends, she would not work unless it was mandatory. On those days, she would have her husband's mom watch their daughter. Fast forward a bit, when her daughter was about eight months old, on a Saturday, her daughter woke up screaming. It was 2 a.m. She had a mandatory overtime day to work. The daycare was closed, and her husband's parents said they could not watch her daughter. She never asked any of us, her side of the family, yet we were all home. She never felt the need to ask us to watch her daughter, because her husband was going to be home. That entire night, her husband was on the computer playing games and burning CDs. He was drinking peppermint moonshine and talking on the microphone. My sister kept telling him to stop drinking, because he would have to watch their daughter in the morning. The whole night, he stayed up, and when she got up for her daughter screaming, she checked her daughter's diaper. It was clean, so she fed her and strapped her in the car seat. She turned on the TV and put the car seat on the couch. She went into her room and told her husband to get up, that she had to go to work. She kissed her baby and went off to work at about 2.45 a.m. Her husband still lied in the bed intoxicated and slept until about 7.30 a.m. He heard his daughter giggling, so he rolled back over and went to sleep. At 11.30 a.m., he got up and went to check on his daughter. The car seat was wedged between the coffee table and couch. His daughter was in that car seat. She was not moving. He pulled her out and began CPR. After half an hour, he could not revive her. He called his father in a panic of what he should do. He said to call the police. So he did. The autopsy revealed that their daughter died around 3 a.m. My sister was clocked in by 3 a.m. She had to be at work no later than 3 a.m. This happened in 2003. It was a very horrible situation. Back in 1998, the house they'd been living in had a family who lost three boys. At the time, the house had a basement made into a playroom. But it wasn't built up to the fire code, because there were not any windows in the basement, nor was there a door. There were only stairs that led into the kitchen. Tragically, a space heater caught fire, and the three boys were trapped and burned in the house. My brother and I and my sister hung out with the three boys a couple of times when we were younger. After my sister's daughter died, she stayed out of her daughter's room before they decided to move out. They threw all their daughter's things into the nursery and closed the door. When they would come home from work or went out, weird things would happen. When they left, the computer would be off, but when they came back, the computer would be on with their daughter's picture on it as a screensaver. They would leave the side door light on when they would leave, and they would come back and the light would be shattered. This light was on the side where their baby died, and the three boys died. They changed it every time it blew out. When they got ready to move, we were cleaning out the closet in the nursery. The little yellow knitted sweater was hanging there all by itself. Seeing it sent chills down my spine. I asked my mother, as we were packing all the baby stuff up, did my sister take a picture of her baby in the sweater? My mom said no. 
I asked if that lady ever asked about a picture with the sweater. She said no. She died two months ago from cancer. That sent even more chills down my spine. I thought to myself, can ghosts kill? The thing about this unfortunate event is that the couch that the car seat was on was deep. Without the pillows and the car seat pushed all the way back, it had a foot and a half in front of it. To me, there's no way that baby could have flipped the car seat and wedged it between the coffee table and couch. Someone or something would have had to knock it off. I kind of feel like that woman, or even those boys, might have wanted her daughter's company. It scares me just thinking about it. It Hunted on Fall Nights From J.B. This is a story from when I was a child. Considering that fall is in full swing, it crossed my mind again. Back in my childhood town, when seasons changed from summer to fall, it was a big deal. Where I happened to live was almost always a toasty 100 degrees all the time, so when it finally dropped below 80 in about mid-October, it felt like a miracle. Everyone would be outside more because they didn't have to worry about the seething heat and people were just happier. I would always love to go out with friends and play until dinner, at least until it showed up. This all started when I was about 11 years old. One or two neighborhood dogs would go missing here and there, but this would all subside by winter. It seemed to only like coming out in the fall and everyone began to catch on. Everyone knew about this thing, but nobody talked about it. My cat, one of the first victims, even got into a fight with it at one point and he barely escaped with his life. He was lucky. By the time I was 15, people wouldn't even leave their kids unattended when autumn rolled around out of fear of that thing. It was a thing of legend as far as I was concerned, too elusive for our paths to cross, at least until one day. I was driving home one night after a long shift at work. I was around 16 and a half, and I had just gotten my driver's license. I was pulling into my neighborhood like I'd done many times before. I thought I saw something behind me, so I checked my mirrors. When I looked back, something big darted in front of my car. I slammed on the brakes, but it was too late. It flew back a few feet, but immediately got up and kept running. It was all a blur, and I immediately began freaking out. What if it was one of my neighbor's pets, or even worse, a person? I decided that I needed to make this right, I had to be sure, so I made the choice to try to follow it to see if it was injured. I couldn't live with myself thinking I'd just severely injured something and may have even led to its death. Before I left, something in the back of my mind told me to be cautious. I reached into the glove compartment, grabbing a sharp glass breaker. I got out and I noticed one thing, a trail of blood. I cringed, I'd really hurt that thing. I stepped down into the brush. The various bushes and plants were pretty high, and as I was only using my phone flashlight, that didn't help. I walked for a couple of minutes, until I heard a little kid crying. I began freaking out, I'd hit a kid, I thought. If I didn't help him quickly, I could be very screwed. 
I picked up my pace when suddenly out of the brush from the direction of where I heard the crying jumped this large mass. It tackled me to the ground and I dropped my phone. It snarled and grabbed at me with the intent to kill. This thing wasn't small either, it was like I was fighting another teenager. I kicked it off and reached for my pocket where I grabbed the glass breaker. It lunged at me again but this time I stabbed it right in the middle of its chest. It began freaking out, screaming these horrendous screams as it darted off into the darkness. I ran back to my car as fast as possible, driving home more quickly than ever before. I was covered in scratches and blood, but nothing too lethal. I told my parents about what had happened, but they didn't entirely believe me. In fact, my parents got me a concussion test the next morning, but it came back that I was in a good mental state. That didn't matter though because nobody believed me. At a certain point, I just stopped telling the story. Well, at least until today. All I have to say, though, is that no more pets or people went missing after that. I escaped with my life. But maybe I've saved a few more lives along the way. Skinwalker From April K.D. I'm a Navajo from Gallup, New Mexico. This story is about a skinwalker, which shapeshifted in front of my sister and I. At the time, I was 18 years old. It was dark, and I got off from work around 8pm and arrived home around 9pm. Once home, I changed into my PJs, my sister was in the living room and my mom was in her room. I went outside to smoke, as I usually do. As I did so, I sat on the rocking chair. Then I suddenly heard my mom running down the hallway towards the living room, so I stopped and listened, but I couldn't hear what she was telling my sister. So I sat there and began smoking again. Suddenly, the door opened. My sister had the flashlight. She said, Mom said something's under the house by her room. She began to go down the porch. I went inside and grabbed my shoes, and by the time I was close to my sister, she stopped dead in her tracks. She turned her flashlight off. She was by the corner of the house. I turned in the direction she was looking. At the corner of my mom's room, there was a center block that was missing, and what we saw there freaked us both out. I'm thankful we didn't freeze up. I looked at my sister, asking her, What the heck is that? What is that? She looked at me, her eyes huge. I know, April, I know. I thought it was a black trash bag at first, but it was someone or something crawling out. Its body was painted black and was covered by a dog's skin. It smelled so disgusting. Slowly, it looked over at us. You could see the hands turn into a dog paw, the skin beginning to wrap around its body. It crawled out from the hole and turned away from us and slowly began to walk away. It looked like my brother's dog that went missing. It walked behind the house, and my sister and I followed it. But as we rounded the house, it was gone. We then both ran inside, checking on our mom, making sure she was okay. She asked if we saw anything. We told her no, we didn't want to scare her. Out there, there seemed to be a lot of activity. Thank you for listening to my story. The White Woman From Albertan Hillbilly 
I grew up in a small town in central Alberta. Surrounding my hometown were small villages and hamlets, dating back to the Ukrainian pioneers who set up homesteads in the area in the early 1900s. I spent a few years living in one of the hamlets, and yes, it was deemed a hamlet. The place was so small, the only store in it was a post office. I was 15 at the time of this story. It happened around 2010. Being one of the only kids in the town of my age, I spent a lot of time on the main street, skateboarding. There really wasn't a whole lot to do other than that. One night, a friend of mine and I were out skating as per usual. It was dark and summertime. I think it must have been later than 11pm. We were sitting on the steps of the old National Hall, when all of a sudden, we began to hear clapping, as if someone was hiding in the trees trying to scare us. Being as we were, for lack of a better term, cocky teenagers, we started to yell out into the darkness. Yeah, come on out here, see what happens. There's two of us and one of you. This might not end very well for you if you don't screw off. However, the clapping continued. At one point, every single dog in town and coyote in the area began to howl, howling from every direction. But then, all at once, everything stopped. After a long, sudden silence, there were three more claps. At this point, curiosity got the better of us, and we decided to go investigate. The clapping was coming from behind my house, where there was one more house before an open field. Jay and I headed over to the area. Now, at the time I had a Kibo 2. It was one of the first cell phones that could have the flashlight on while also recording video. So as we left the safety of the streetlights, I turned on my phone light. As we approached the neighbor's house, I saw that their dogs were outside. The dogs were barking at us by then, and from in the darkness in the backyard with the dogs, I could see someone peering around the fence, looking right at us. I said, Jay, look, do you see that? Someone's standing there looking at us. The minute he said, oh yeah man, I see it. It emerged from around the fence. I could tell it was a female, but I couldn't see anything else of detail. She was all staticky white, like a TV screen that doesn't have any signal. This spirit then approached the dogs in the yard, and in either an old, groggy voice or a thick Ukrainian accent, she began hitting the dogs, saying what I thought was, Shut up, Shadow. Shut up, Shadow. At this point, I looked at Jay and said, Alright, time to get the heck out of here. Now, this yard had a chain-link fence, but the top of it did not have a support bar, meaning the fence would have been flimsy and hard to hop over. There was also a padlock on the gate. Jay and I took no more than five steps, and I turned around to look at the spirit. She was only three feet behind us now. If she had jumped the fence, she'd made no noise at all. No noise from footsteps. She was just over there, then directly behind us without a sound. Jay saw this too. We began to run then, over to the safety of the streetlights. After another five steps or so, we heard something. This thing screamed at the top of its lungs. I have no idea what it said or if it said anything. The scream pierced my eardrums, causing both of us to turn around and look at it. She was staring at us. She had no facial features, no clothing to identify it. 
just white static as I described earlier. By then I was sure both of us needed to change our shorts. From there on we walked backwards back to the steps of the hall, not breaking eye contact with this bizarre entity. We watched it stand in that spot for a long time still staring at us. At one point, it looked down one of the back alleys and started to walk away. But it faded away before it was actually behind anything. We ran all the way back to my house and I told my mom what had happened. She chalked it up as just some weird stranger. She thought that would calm us down. But Jay and I knew what we saw was not of this world. To be able to jump that kind of fence without making a sound, getting right behind us in almost an instant, it should have been impossible. Needless to say, we avoided that area after dark after that. I don't go in my backyard at night anymore. From CSUN I live in a small city in upstate New York. And living in an urban area, I never thought I would experience something like this. Sure, other people were always a potential threat, but not animals, and certainly not strange creatures. The experience I had a few months ago changed my opinion on that forever. I was working an overnight shift at a warehouse. My hours were 5pm to 4.30am, requiring me to practically become nocturnal. Of course, I didn't bother trying to have a normal sleep schedule on my days off, so I was often awake all hours of the night while my husband slept. It was one of these nights around 5 in the morning when I decided to step out into the backyard for a smoke. My backyard was a pretty typical urban backyard, a small patio with a fence on one side, a retaining wall directly across from the back of the house. The city is largely built into the side of a hill, so these were common. There was also a huge, dead, and completely hollow tree, which had fallen into our yard in the early spring, and my landlord still hasn't gotten around to cleaning it up. This tree was about three feet across, but made of that rotted-out wood that practically crumbles in your hand. It had fell in a way that one end was about five feet from my back door, and the other end was propped up on the retaining wall, creating a sort of ramp. Something was living in the hollowed-out space inside it, I always assumed it was raccoons or groundhogs, and I frequently heard loud scratching from inside that log. This never really struck me as weird or frightening. I love animals, and the idea of having some wildlife in my own backyard felt like an honor. Anyway, I had stepped out for a smoke, but as soon as I opened my door, I felt uneasy. This is uncommon for me. I spend a lot of time outside at night, sometimes on nice nights even sitting there for hours, smoking and watching the handful of stars I could make out through the light pollution. But that night was different. It was darker than usual, eerily quiet, and I felt the distinct sensation of being watched. I stood in the doorway for a few moments. I am one to listen to my gut on these things, and my gut was telling me to go back inside. But that night, my curiosity got the better of me. As my eyes adjusted, I looked around the yard, and that's when I realized something was off. Usually, I could fully see my neighbor's porch light in the yard, directly behind mine. But tonight, there was something blocking it, 
something perched on top of the log, right at the top of the retaining wall. I looked at this silhouette. Was it an animal? It was rather large for any city animal I knew of. Maybe a large dog. Then it shifted, which was when I was sure it was something alive, and also allowed me to get a better look at it. This is the part that confuses me, and it may sound a bit crazy. But it was similar to a chimpanzee, hunched over, vaguely human, and from what I could tell, given that I could only make out the silhouette, it seemed to be covered in fur. I reached for my phone to use my flashlight, still not fully convinced what I was seeing was really what it looked like. But as soon as I moved, that thing let out this awful shriek and started to move towards me, down the log, scurrying with unnatural, sickening movements. I stepped backward into the house, slamming and locking the door in one motion. I stumbled backward. My heart was pounding in my chest. I felt like screaming. I stood there frozen, watching the door for a few minutes. Then I heard something that made my blood run cold. A slow tap, tap, tap on the window. I couldn't move. I couldn't process what was happening. Then, suddenly, I saw the doorknob beginning to turn. Slowly at first, and then it rattled, as if the thing outside was frustrated to find the door locked. I slowly backed out of the room, shutting the office door, acutely aware that whatever it was could easily break in through the window if it really wanted to get inside. I stood outside the door, listening for any other sounds, and just when I was thinking it had left, I heard a loud bang from the room next to me, as if something had pounded on the AC unit which hung out the window. That was when I called 911. I told them I was concerned there was some rabid animal outside my building. I explained what had happened so far, only vaguely describing what I'd seen as I was scared they would think it was a prank call and not send anyone over. I then woke up my husband while they were on their way, and when they arrived, I explained again what had happened. Two of them entered my apartment, and two others circled the building, all with guns drawn. But whatever that thing was, it was gone. They searched everywhere they could, even waking my neighbors up to search their yard, explaining that they believed there was a rabid animal on the loose. But nothing came of it. They left, and I didn't sleep until the sun was fully out. I haven't had anything strange happen since then, but I no longer go outside at night, and my pleasant curiosity at whatever is living in my log has turned into a sickening unease. There's not supposed to be skinwalkers in Hungary. From Andres Yeti 1. This happened in Hungary, Budapest, near a school and a small patch of forest. A bit further away from there is a bigger patch of forest with an opening in the middle. My family and I lived in between the forest and the school. I was 14 then. One night I went out for a walk. I made my way over towards the woods while I was on a call with a friend. After about an hour of talking, we hung up. I turned around then to head back home, but right when I turned around, I suddenly felt this feeling of dread, that feeling of not being alone when you think you are. At the time, it was dark out and late. I walked faster at this point, 
and I had my hand in my pocket, grabbing onto my pocket knife just in case. When I exited the tree line, it was like the feeling of being watched just vanished. That day after I got home, I told my parents about this feeling. They said maybe an elk or a stray dog had been watching you. This put me at ease, and I went to bed. That night, I woke up at about 3 a.m. There was this horrible screaming sound coming from just outside my window. Now, my room was on the second floor of the house, so when I looked outside, at first, I didn't see anything. I pulled up the blinds a bit more and looked outside again. Below the dim streetlights was what looked to be a man standing there. The lights were too dim to see how he looked exactly, but he could see the outline of a man. I think he might have noticed me looking at him because he stepped back a few steps and faded into the shadows. It was strange, but I went right back to bed after that. The following day, when I got home from school, I hopped on a call with my friend again, the same friend from the other night, and also same as before, I went on a walk. This time, however, I made sure to go out before it was so dark. After about another hour of talking, we hung up and I walked back home again. I had some homework I had to do. Back at home, I did my homework and had nothing else to do, so I went out for another walk. This time, I wasn't on my phone with anyone. I was just walking. I went to the bigger forest this time, and I just sat down on a bench near the entrance. That's when it came back. That feeling. It was like someone watching me. I frantically began to look around me everywhere to see where it was coming from, but I didn't see anyone near me. After about a minute of being scared, this foul stench filled the air. Something reeked of rotting meat. I instantly got up and looked around. There it was. Roughly seven to eight feet tall, humanoid looking. It was some sort of creature that looked as if it was trying to wear a deer's skin. It had carnivore-like teeth that were yellow as lemons. It roughly resembled a human, but its legs were bending the wrong way and it had a long snout. Its skin was falling off as if it was rotten, bloody chunks of tissue peeling off its torso. It was just staring at me, like it was considering killing me or not. As soon as I got back to my senses, I bolted away. The bigger forest was much farther away from my house than the smaller one, so I had to run much farther than before. After a while of constant running, I stopped and looked around. Then, as I was looking at the entrance of the woods, it came running out after me, its skin falling off as it was running on four legs. My body moved on its own. I ran and ran, that thing right on my tail. I could hear its footsteps right behind me the entire time. When I was near the school, the footsteps just suddenly stopped though, but I didn't. I ran as fast as I could. I didn't even stop to open the fence, I just jumped over it. I ran inside as fast as I could, locking the door behind me. That night, my parents were on vacation, and my sister was at her boyfriend's house, so I would be alone and terrified. I didn't tell anyone about this experience for a while, but I did manage to write it down. Ever since then, I've read every single Skinwalker, Wendigo, and Dogman sighting in search for an answer. 
Hungary might seem safe, but sometimes scary things can happen here. The Grey Woman From DT I was talking to my grandma about ghosts and other spooky things when I brought up the night I saw a grey lady watching me sleep. A bit of backstory is needed, so I'll keep it short. My grandparents live in a 100-plus-year-old house that's been in the family for generations. People have lived and died in that house. The night I saw the lady, I was about 10 years old. I feel as if I've always been connected to the paranormal in some way, whether it be voices or seeing figures. That night, my grandpa was telling me a tale of Zorro, and it was getting late, so he soon sent me off to bed. As I settled into my covers and was drifting off to the serenity of sleep, I opened my eyes as the room felt cold. I was underneath a handmade quilt that had been made by my grandma's mother. As I opened my eyes, I saw a middle-aged woman in a dress that looked right out of the 1920s. I live in the South, so it was more fitted in a fashion that was comfortable in all temperatures. What was odd was she was carrying a tray made of silver, along with a plate of fresh biscuits, a matching silver teapot, and a saucer of butter. As soon as I perked up, she looked at me with warm eyes and a smile as she put her finger over her lip in a shushing motion. At that point, I screamed for my grandmother. My grandmother came to the room, and I told her I saw a ghost. She told me I would stay in my room until I fell asleep. The next morning when I woke up, I told her about the night before. I described this ghost, and as I did, her face went as white as marble. She called for my grandpa, then once he was there, told me to tell all the details again. As I finished up, they looked at each other and went silent for about a minute. My grandpa turned to me then and asked how in the world did I know what his mother looked like. I was shocked, but he grabbed me and took me to a cabinet in the dining room. He pulled out a tray with a tea set and saucer that was pure silver. It was the exact same set I saw before. He asked me to confirm if this is what I saw, and I said yes. He then took me outside and told me about his mother, how she had died in the house, and how whenever he was sick she would feed him from that platter. He also added about how she would always make biscuits on Saturdays and Sundays. After that incident, it's been hard to sleep in that house, but I do visit them yearly, and we don't talk about what I saw. But sometimes, as I'm drifting off to sleep in the house, I still see that woman shushing me to sleep. Thank you for listening to another unsettling episode of Unexplained Encounters. You can send us your story to have it narrated on the show at darkstories.org. Unexplained Encounters is an EerieCast original series. You can find other horror-themed podcasts at EerieCast.com, such as Redwood Bureau, a fictional anthology series, Freaky Folklore, a documentary-style series about myths and cryptids around the world, Destination Terror, a show about the most haunted places, and Tales from the Break Room, another show I host all about the scary things that happen to people at work. Again, that's EerieCast.com. By the way, if you want fewer annoying ads and you want to support what we do, consider going to EerieCast.com plus to sign up for EerieCast Plus. 
That unlocks all our podcasts with all but host red ads removed. Until next time, stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one.